Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of I'm Still a Mormon, and I am your host, me. And uh, if you have not listened to any of the episodes, this is all about how I think you can still be a Mormon, a member of the church, uh, knowing our church history warts and all, and my attempt to share with the listener how I view things about church history that are questionable that everybody, in my opinion, if they have not heard these things, are going to hear them uh, eventually, uh, because that's the danger of, of really uh, church history right now, is it's going to come to you. There used to be a time where you didn't have to worry about it. You could just read the church's version of it, feel, feel warm and fuzzy about all that. But somebody's going to bring it to you, and it's going to be in the form of a friend, a spouse, a former bishop, former mission comp, it's going to be somebody that you maybe trust or look up to, and you might get your uh, hands blown off uh, by what you hear. So I'm just trying to help uh, let, let you know, be kind of proactive. Hey, there's some oddities in the history, and yes, you can know of these things, work them out in your mind, figure them out, still be a member of the church. I don't think you have to accept everything in the traditional way to be comfortable being a member of the church. And I hope this helps people that look at things a little different stay in the church. For example, the topic today is a huge topic. I would say it's one of the top five, if not the top three reasons why people leave the church. And that is over the uh, the Book of Abraham, uh, fact or fiction. And we're gonna talk about that very high level. Again, I try to keep these to about 20 to 30 minutes long so you don't get too bored. And then you guys can go do your own research, come up with your own conclusions. I am not here to convince anybody uh, my, my uh, way. I'm saying my way is fallible. I'm saying the way I think today might be different in 10 years. And, but this is where I stand on these types of topics uh, as of this moment. From my perspective, a lifelong member, um, a very avid church history uh, reader. I've read lots and lots of books, more than your average member, about church history because I'm just fascinated by it, have always been fascinated by it. And so let's <laughs> let's dive into the book of Abraham. And there's just a lot to it. Again, this is going to be a high level. You can go do the the uh, the digging. There's plenty of information on both sides of the uh, the coin here, but I'm just going to share you what I think is unique perspective that I've not seen very often, uh, if at all, uh, in my uh, brief research on what other people think about the Book of Abraham. But uh, there are a lot of theories behind the Book of Abraham, inside the church, outside the church, and we'll talk about those theories later. But first, what is the issue, if you're not aware, with the Book of Abraham. Since the uh, 1800s, when Joseph Smith translated the Book of Abraham, we have learned that the actual meaning of the writings uh, that Joseph translated do not match the current known translation. I probably didn't say that very well. What I'm basically saying is, we, since he translated it, we we now know through scholars inside the church, outside the church, 
uh, because we have access to some of the facsimiles, original facsimiles, not all, and it's been determined that what Joseph Smith said was the translation is not how modern scholars see the translation. I mean, it's not even close. So that's basically what I would call the issue with people who leave the church have about the book of Abraham. Hey, Joseph Smith got the translation wrong, you know, in a nutshell. I think the history of how the Book of Mormon, I'm sorry, Book of Abraham, probably going to say that, make that mistake four or five times. Book of Abraham uh, came about is important, so let's uh, take a few minutes and chat about that. In case you don't know that history, a lot of people don't. Um, they just know, hey, we Joseph Smith got some papyri and he translated it's now the scriptures of Book of Abraham, it's true, name of Jesus Christ, amen. That's the, the short uh, church version. But let's, let's kind of go into it a little bit so you know the history. In 1833, around that time, a guy named Michael Chandler had purchased some mummies and, uh, from Egypt. And uh, in those mummies, he found some uh, scrolls that were intact, Egyptian scrolls. And in about 1835, uh, Michael Chandler... Uh, decided to uh, show these scrolls and mummies at exhibits, uh, kind of like a little mini museum, let's say, or a traveling museum, uh, for money. So I think it was like he charged people 25 cents to come see the ancient scrolls and the ancient uh, mummies. And uh, after uh, the majority of the people that were going to see him saw him, they he packed up shop, went somewhere else, did the same thing. And, uh, and then he kind of just hit the road and, and started doing these in small towns. He did this for about two years and basically was, uh, I guess, tired of doing the, uh, the mobile museum. And he knew of Joseph Smith. And he knew Joseph Smith because everybody back then knew that Joseph Smith claimed to translate ancient uh, Egyptian gold plates into the Book of Mormon. That was... Headline news, if you can imagine, back in those days. And so he sought out, he went to Kirtland, uh, Ohio, where the Smiths uh, and the church were. So Michael Chandler sought him out. And uh, with the thought to get out of the museum business and sell these, to see if he could sell these to Joseph Smith so he can translate them. So... At that time, so he goes. So Michael Chandler goes to Kirtland with that in mind. So at that time, the church, for many many years, but for sure in Kirtland, uh, they were in need of of money. So some of the members convinced Joseph Smith that uh, they should buy the papyra, papyri, uh, so Joseph Smith can translate it and uh, make a book out of it and sell the book and actually set up the mummies in a, kind of like a little mini museum and and charge people to see the, the mummies in the area as well, like Michael Chandler deal, did. So they bought uh, the artifacts for Michael Chandler, a few mummies and the scrolls uh, for $2,400, which uh, was probably a good chunk of money back in, in the uh, 1800s. And so... I tell you this because 
it's important to know that the Pearl of Great Price started out as a business transaction from a non-member to uh, the church to kind of basically sell it to make money, sell the translation to make money and charge people to see the mummies. So it started out as a business transla- uh, transaction. Joseph Smith uh, starts translating and he was excited because he told people, hey, hey, these are the actual writings of Father Abraham. And as you can imagine, the saints were also uh, very excited. Uh, so he translates uh, the records. Again, it's a very high level. Uh, the Book of Abraham was published in the Times and Seasons, which was the church's paper, uh, in uh, 1842. I'm not sure if the museum idea ever really happened, but uh, we do know that the, uh, the, the translation was uh, completed in 1842 and printed in the Times and Seasons uh, for the first time. Uh, 1844 is when Joseph Smith was murdered. So the translation was not done for very long um, before Joseph's life was taken. In 1851, about nine years after the translation, an apostle, Elder uh, Franklin Dewey Richards, serving as the president of the British Mission at that time, created and printed based on the Times and Seasons printing a pamphlet, and he called that pamphlet Pearl of Great Price. And that pamphlet was first printed in Liverpool, England, and was sold to members of the church or people around uh, who wanted to buy it for about 30 cents. And Elder Richards did this at the time because the saints in England really didn't have any of the writings of Joseph Smith like the saints Uh, in the States. So he thought it'd be a good idea uh, to reprint that along with some other things that Joseph Smith uh, had translated or or had written and he called it the Pearl of Great Price. I'm sorry, Pearl of Great Price. 27 years after Elder Richards first printed it in England, we printed that in America and that was printed in Salt Lake City in 1878 and with some changes. So 27 years later, it was first printed in America. So the American saints didn't have access to the Pearl of Great Price at that time until 1878. In General Conference of 1880, uh, the October 10th session, the Pearl of Great Price was at that time canonized as scripture. That is 38 years after Joseph Smith translated the papyri. Some historians feel that the the saints uh, treated as scripture for many years anyway, so hey, we might as well make it scripture. Um, So that's how we got the Pearl of Great Price. And just incidentally, the same day that the Pearl of Great Price was accepted as scripture, John Taylor was um, sustained as the president uh, of the church. So I thought that was uh, also kind of interesting. So back to the themes and theories that the church uh, has about the origin of the Pearl of Gay Price. And you can go see this on the church's website under the uh, church history topics. 
But the church basically says, we don't know uh, why the Joseph Smith translation doesn't match. Uh, just read the Pearl of Great Price or read the Book of Abraham. Pray about it and and uh, and under you know get to know its teachings. Uh, they feel that the scrolls could have been the physical scrolls that Joseph had could have been just an object that God used to let Joseph Smith receive the Book of Abraham as a revelation and not an actual translation. So Joseph, in this theory, you would have to to understand that they. They think that maybe Joseph thought he was translating it, but he really wasn't. He was getting a revelation. Now, to me, that that theory has a bunch of holes in it. I'm not even going to go there. But uh, you can come up with your own uh, thoughts about that. Some of the, the highlights of the translation process and, and how we got to where we are, I think you need to consider as you kind of look at the Book of Abraham and again, the only reason I'm bringing this out is the Exmos have a heyday with the Book of Abraham. So you are, as a member, going to have to come up with some reasonable understanding of where you stand on the Book of Abraham. And most members uh, accepted as scripture and because they don't know any of, anything about the history, nor do they care to know, and that's fine. But... Someday, somebody's going to come to you and you're going to kind of scratch your head and go, you know, I don't know how to put those those ideas together because these are facts. These aren't fiction. These these things about the uh, the book of Abraham actually happened. And so as a member, you have to kind of figure this out where you stand, in my opinion. So some of the, the, the facts you need to consider as you're figuring out where you stand on the, the, the book of Abraham. First of all, it took uh, six, seven years to translate. And why that's important. Uh, I believe the Book of Mormon took like six months to translate. The Book of Abraham, I, if I remember right, is, is like five chapters and a couple uh, facsimiles. So big difference there as far as the time it took. And you could say Joseph Smith was busy, wasn't his top priority, you know, all those things. And that could absolutely be correct of why it took that much longer to translate versus the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon was his top priority. I give you that. As far as I'm aware, another interesting fact, as far as I'm aware, there is no record of God or Christ asking Joseph Smith to translate the papyri. It was something, again, that the saints kind of decided for him by saying, what they did. Hey, Joseph, let's we'll buy it. You translate it. We'll sell it. We'll get some money. So Joseph was kind of, I don't want to say forced into the translation, but it, in a sense, you could look at it that way. It's not like Joseph said, hey, I'm, Joseph didn't instigate this. It was the, the members around him, as far as scholars uh, can tell. But no angel, no angel came and said, translate this papyri because we want you to, uh, like other things. We actually don't know, and when I say we, I mean me, scholars, and the church officially do not know how it was translated. Meaning, was it the seer stone? Was it the Urim Thummim? Was it Revelation uh, 
directly to Joseph Smith, like uh, most of the Doctrine and Covenants? We don't know. Uh, God has not told anybody. Uh, Joseph Smith did not tell anybody. What we do know is he was studying the Egyptian language. He was trying to translate the alphabet. There are uh, writings still in our possession that show Joseph trying to figure out the Egyptian alphabet. And uh, uh, just so you know, uh, his translations were also of the alphabet were also deemed incorrect. So uh, I think that's a, an interesting uh, tidbit as well. The other uh, interesting fact I think you need to consider as you figure this out is Joseph Smith, for whatever reason, did not canonize the translation while he was alive. Now, you could say that he died too soon. He was going to do it. He was going to get around to it. It was busy, whatever, because he did die fairly short after the translation was first published, approximately two years. So that could be a very logical explanation why he did not translate it. But then you got to think Brigham Young, okay, he had 30 plus years to canonize the book of Abraham, and he did not. When uh, John Taylor uh, was approved as the president of the church, sustained as president of the church, I mean, uh, that same day it was canonized as uh, scripture for the church. The other interesting thing I think you need to consider is the papyri came to us through um, a business transaction from a non-member. And I'm not saying the non-member, you know, pulled the wool over us or anything like that. There's no, uh, that, that I've read, there's no indication of that at all. But it's just a different way. You know, the Book of Mormon came to us in a very specific way. The Doctrine and Covenants came to us in a very specific way. The Book of Abraham was just different than everything else. And um, it is very obvious that the members treated a scripture uh, long, long before it actually was accepted and canonized. Now, I personally, because of the history and how the book of Abraham came about, I personally do not think that it is and should be canonized scripture. I personally have no idea, no guess as to how Joseph Smith came up with its content based on the facts. I don't even have, I, I don't know how to put it all together. I really, really don't. I think you as a member can feel the same way uh, and still be a member. Every member is able to uh, look at this uh, for themselves and decide for themselves where they think they stand uh, for uh, on this subject. And again, most members don't think about it. But I'm telling you, the Exmos, uh, they will uh, preach this uh, all the time. It's one of their go-to red flags. Uh, about the church and Joseph Smith is the uh, the history of the book of Abraham. And so I think as a member that you should be uh, prepared to know where you stand based on uh, the, the few facts that we have. To me, it's very, very fascinating. It doesn't change anything, my belief of Joseph Smith. Um, and it doesn't change anything. That's how I feel uh, him being a, a prophet of God. 
Um, and I am very comfortable where I stand saying, uh, I don't know, I don't think it's scripture, and I don't know how we got it, and still be a member of the church. And for those out there that feel the same way, I hope you feel comfortable to stay in the church uh, feeling this way as well. And I hope that helps. Thanks for listening.